0: Thank you for listening to this message from South Ridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today, and that you find new ways to apply his word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on SouthRidgeCC.org. So let's get started.
1: A recent report by Barna Research listed the top reasons people question Christianity, Among those who claim to be Christians, uh, whether or not they actually practice that, uh, the things that rose to the top were these. The problem of human suffering, uh, 23% of Christians listed that as a significant reason that they often have doubts. Uh, That was followed at 22% by the hypocrisy of religious people. third one was conflict in the world uh, that caused 19% of those who claimed to be Christians whether or not they practice that to have doubts about their christian faith uh, among those who claimed no faith religious hypocrisy was far and away the most cited response for having doubt with christianity 42% of those who claimed to have no faith said that the hypocrisy of Christians, or those who called themselves Christians, caused them to doubt the truthfulness of Christian beliefs. A Barnett study also had some results that said, well, half of Christians have experienced doubts in the past few years. There's also an unprecedented openness to questions within the general population. 74% of you as adults say they want to grow spiritually. 77% report believing in a higher power. 44% say they are more open to God today than before the pandemic. Uh, CEO of Barnard Research, David Kinnaman, said that though religious affiliation and church attendance has declined, the level of spiritual openness and spiritual curiosity is in fact on the rise. Obviously, one of the challenges that's cited there is religious hypocrisy. I'm not an Amazon Prime video subscriber, uh, but I also know that Shiny Happy People is presently a docu-series featured on Amazon Prime Video uh, that shows the challenges of some pretty significant TV personalities from past years. Not too long ago, there was another docu-series called The Secrets of Hillsong that highlighted some of the challenges that the organization of Hillsong was facing. Before that, there was a docu-series of God Forbid, which highlighted Liberty University's Jerry Falwell Jr. and some of the challenges in his life in being a faithful follower of Christ. I don't cite those examples to throw stones or throw rocks. If you're anything like me, my heart resonates deeply with the song that we sang just before our message time. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, the God I love. Again, when it comes to hypocrisy, when it comes to Hillsong or Jerry Falwell Jr., whatever context you have, The last orientation I have is throwing rocks or ridiculing or demeaning those who maybe have had higher levels of media profile hypocrisy, those whose hypocrisy has been more public and broadly streamed. I think all of us as followers of Jesus can say that we resonate deeply with the words of those, that song, Lord prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And yet at the same time, we also know that that level of hypocrisy does damage to the cause of Christ, that his name, who he is, does not shine brightly in the world, but instead actually detracts from people being drawn and engaging in the truths that Jesus claimed. The last thing that we want to do in a church setting as followers of Jesus is to say, hey, everybody, we all need to buck up. We all need to behave better. We all need to have a better external facade. We all need to play the part better. We all need to get our behaviors more in line. That's the last thing we need because we are fallen people. But somehow the dynamic of gospel truth found in the person of Jesus does need to seep its way more deeply into our lives and somehow get expressed more clearly for a world that is actually dying to see whether or not the claims of Jesus are true. Do they truly make a difference in the lives of those of us who claim to be Jesus' followers? You I realize on a Sunday morning like this, we have plenty of people in this auditorium, plenty of people online who maybe are like those in our culture, are more sensitized to truth of God or asking more significant questions, are more open. And you're actually here kind of putting your foot in the water and saying, is this really substantive? Is this really true? Do I get a sense of the genuineness of the people around me or is this simply a religious facade? And deep in your heart, you have a sense of of maybe even wanting it to be true. And being fearful that you'll find out that you're going to brush up against hypocritical people. There's a sense that you wish that it were true, but you're not quite sure. And so all I can do is say, you'll hear sort of like an internal conversation this morning. And our goal as a church is to experience belonging, embrace God's grace authentically and truthfully and have our lives changed by that than to actually extend God's love so that his name and his goodness is seen in our world. We're in the book of Ephesians chapter four. And in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, the first verse of Ephesians was this, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul speaking, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul does say, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you belong to him, there is a particular path to which you are called. There should be a difference in the dynamic of how you live life. It should be visible. You are called to something that's different. You're called to live a life worthy of the Lord. There should be a sense, of visible differentiation between who you are, your patterns of life, and the patterns of those around you. In the beginning of that chapter, Paul says one of those ways that you're to be different and to live a life worthy of God's calling is to walk in unity and serve one another. Liv highlighted that during the opportunities. It was awesome to see the baptisms last week. And I just find so much joy in knowing that every one of those baptisms is possible because others serve. Because we serve one another in meeting the person of Jesus whether that's through kids or students or adults or facilities or technology or whatever it is, we serve one another, and through that, God's name becomes strengthened. Certainly here on a Sunday morning throughout the week, but also wherever God has placed you, the more that you faithfully represent Christ— and the people that you talk to and the places that you interact, the more brightly Christ's light shines in the world. This week, you will talk to people that I will never talk to in my whole life. You will be put in places that I will never enter my whole life. And so whatever God places you, whatever people that you meet, as the life of Christ is lived through you, as you serve others, God's purpose, God's mission becomes strengthened in the world. His light becomes just that more, little bit more intense for people to see. The truthfulness of the person of Jesus becomes, should I even say, a little more believable to those who are kind of looking in. Well, Paul makes a shift in verse 17, and he moves on to basically two ways of living a way that's disconnected from God and disoriented from him and living a way that's connected to God and oriented to him. And so he goes through each of those patterns of life and encourages the believers in Ephesus to live in a way that's connected, directed toward, oriented to the person of God. So here's what he says in verse 17. So I tell you this. And insist on it in the Lord. When he says, insist on it in the Lord, he's basically saying, hey, these aren't just my ideas. I'm just not like spouting as a speaker, but I'm actually representing God in what I'm about to say. God's truth is involved in this. Here's what God wants you to hear. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So there's a way that you must no longer, there's a way you're not supposed to be. Then he mentions Gentiles. Now technically, Gentiles are simply that category of people who are non-Jewish. It's technically what a Gentile is, those who are non-Jewish. But the way that Paul is using this, he's using it to sort of generically reference Those who are disconnected from God. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, God is interacting with the Jewish people. He's giving his his truth to them. He's speaking to them. They have a sense of connection to God. Whereas the nations, often called the Gentiles, or sometimes even the pagan nations, were disconnected from God, far from him. And so Paul is using this in a sense, not of those who are ethnically non-Jewish but more connecting the dots and saying those people who do not believe or who are not followers of God. Then he says, he references their futility of their thinking. Futility is devoid of truth and appropriateness, perverseness, depravity, frailty. You might say this, it's a pattern of life and a way of thinking that lacks the vigorousness of living life truthfully according to who God has defined who we are and who he, has, who he has defined himself to be. Let me kind of flesh that out a little bit. Friends, I want to say this. In our modern culture, we deeply wrestle in our modern day with futility of thinking. There's a sense that the answers offered in our world are not substantive enough to deal with the challenges that we have. In fact, it's one of the reasons why, as Barnes' research said, there's a greater openness to the perspective of the Bible and truth. There's a sense that the answers being offered are insufficient. The answers being offered are too lightweight. The answers being offered do not adequately address the complexity of the issues that we have. And as followers of Jesus, we are not called to be lightweight. We're not called to just be gullible, sort of foolish people. We're called to offer the rigorous truth of God to what our culture is desperately asking. Again, just maybe some examples of that. People in our day sort of feel the sense of discontinuity, between, on the one hand, telling them, hey, you've got to be embracing and accepting of every race and ethnicity. You shouldn't demean any particular ethnicity. You should be kind and caring for a person to no matter what socioeconomic level they belong, no matter what their ethnic background. On the the one hand, we tell people that. On the other hand we also say to them, hey, by the way, you're just spinning on this rock. You're a human blob. You're a cluster of cells, and your life actually means nothing. Well, our culture senses the discontinuity between saying, hey, here's how you should live, but then over here saying everything is just an accident, and you're just a blob of cells. Well, if I'm just a blob of cells then why should I show love and respect to others? If I'm just an accident floating around on a rock, if I'm just a conglomeration of the neuropaths in my brain, why should I at all care whether or not I'm loving or hateful? In some ways, all that our culture has to offer is the song of Christmas, which is, so be good for goodness sake. And quite honestly, that would not be good enough for me. Maybe I don't want to be good for goodness sake. Maybe I want to be bad for badness sake. And what's, who's to say that being good for goodness sake is any better than being bad for badness sake? If I'm just a human blob, if I'm just a cluster of cells, if I'm just an accident on another accident spinning accidentally through the universe, why should I not hate my fellow man? If somehow that gains me superiority or advantage, why not? What if I want to be bad for badness' sake? Who's to say that's not okay? Why should I be good for goodness' sake? We tell people on the one hand, you should love other people, and yet there's really nothing special about other people. You should treat them kindly, but they're just a hunk of cells like you. Sometimes we say to people, hey, you should put a, a lid on your animosity that you have for other classes of people. But you don't need to put a lid on your sexual appetites. So here's the things where you should kind of put a lid and refrain and constrain and confine yourself because it's inappropriately for you to behave in these sorts of ways. Uh, but over here, particularly in the sexual area, there's no guidelines. There's no boundaries. Do as you. Well, uh, hold on, time out. Like, who's to say that these rules should apply here? But there's no rules over here. Like, like who makes those things up? And so, in our culture, culture wide, we sense the discontinuity and the incongruity of what we're being told. It, we have the feeling that it's futile. It's not intellectually coherent. It doesn't hold together. That's exactly what Paul was saying 2,000 years ago. Verse 18, he says this. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And this is some pretty heavy-hitting words, but kind of what I want to drive at is this. Notice how this works a little bit backwards from the ways that we often think. We often think, because of our kind of modern uh, modern era from which we come, that we're kind of brains on a stick, that we have it kind of figured out intellectually, and therefore our lives follow what we determine to be true intellectually. The scripture sees human beings as a whole lot more complex than that. Again, our modern culture all it has to offer is you're a conglomeration of cells. You're simply a bunch of neuropaths, of neurons firing and connecting. That's all that you are. Scripture says, no, you are a human being. You're not just a blob of cells. You're a being, and that being is made up of your brain, your mind. It's also made up of your appetites, your emotions, kind of what drives you internally. So the the scripture's perspective of who we are is is much more complex, much more nuanced, much more deep than sort of the superficial way that culture says that we're wired up. But, But notice how Paul orders this. He doesn't say, you're simply a brain making intellectual decisions. He actually says, kind of, you got to read the verse backwards almost. The last line of the verse is due to the hardening of their hearts. So so that's sort of like the ending point. So let's start. Paul says the the first part is actually there's this innate stubbornness we have to hearing the truth of God who has something to say about who we are and how we should live. And and so the, the core foundation of my life is not necessarily intellectually what I think or what I know to be true. It's actually something deeper than that about, am I resistant to a God who makes truth claims about my heart? Do I kind of want to throw off the sense that I'm accountable in my life to a divine being? It actually starts with the hardening of the heart. Work it backwards. That leads to ignorance. Ignorance. That leads to choosing not to believe in a certain way. That means like, okay, like I'm stubborn and I'm hard and I want to throw off God. Therefore, I'm not going to explore what God has to say about what truth is. What does that lead to? That leads to being darkened in our understanding. That leads to being confused about how life works. Again, our culture longs for something that's, Glorious, something that's transcendent. We often use sexuality, possessions, other sorts of things to somehow satisfy that thirst that we have for glory and transcendence, something that is weighty, something that gives our lives meaning. Sort of the picture that comes to my mind when I think about this is maybe a runner running a hundred yard dash. And a runner is in the starting blocks. And the starting blocks are designed to launch that runner so when the leg muscles tighten up, he launches out. Imagine one runner being in a starting block another one simply being in solid ice. The one on solid ice is just going to lose footing. He's going to try to launch forward. But because there's no traction, because there's no grip, there's nothing to push against. And so it's, it's running in space. It's not going anywhere. There's got to be something true. There's got to be something foundational. There's got to be something that I, I push against that can move me forward. There's futility of thinking. It's interesting that the more self-centered we have become, the more desperate we have become. We kind of would think about that in the opposite way. If it, I would think if intuitively it would work the opposite way. The more I just explore my own personal freedom, the more I throw off all restraint, the more satisfied, the more full I'll become. Instead, that's actually futility of thinking. And the more self-centered we become, what we find in actuality is the more desperate we have become. It's alluring, but it's self-destructive. It's interesting that what draws us, what entices us, what promises us freedom is actually self-destructive and futile. The more we live into our self centeredness, the more empty we become. The more we see our only goal and aim being to satisfy our own desires, the more distorted and twisted our desires become, and the less we can satisfy them. That's what Paul is saying. Helen Lewis is a British journalist. Uh, She's not a believer. She did grow up in some kind of religious environment. She has declared that she is atheist, so she is not a believer. Uh, On the spectrum of things, she's on the feminist spectrum of things. Here's what she writes in an article called The Problem with Being Cool About Sex. She says there's a problem because what we want or what we should want often doesn't coincide with what we do want. She says, our enlightened values has less stigma regarding unwed mothers, the acceptance of homosexuality, greater economic freedom for women, the availability of contraception, and the embrace of consent culture. The problem is they haven't translated into anything like a paradise of guilt-free fun. Well, again, all of those things aren't bad. They're actually, a number of them are good things. But she said, as much as we pursued all of those things in hope of, of them bring a paradise of guilt-free fun, instead, it's led in the opposite direction. She goes on to say this. Again, this is not some preacher, pastor, speaking from the Bible. This is a, a, an atheist journalist, not even in the U.S., but in Britain, saying this. Is sex most usefully thought of? As a physical need? Is it like breathing? Where you have to do it because it's a physical need? Do we think of it as a human right? Like the freedom of speech. Get to say anything that I want. Do we think of it as a spiritual connection that takes on full meaning? Only if it's part of a relationship. Or she says, is it like bungee jumping? An adrenalizing physical feat. She says, what is it? Is it like a bungee jump that fills you with adrenaline? Is it some sort of right like the freedom of speech? Does it have any kind of soul, spiritual connection that happens in relationship? Is it like a physical need like breathing? Again, friends, in our futility of thinking, we miss the depth, the wonder and the beauty of what God has designed. So Paul says, there's a futile way to think. And then he says, that's the disconnected way. Then he says, there's the connected way. Ephesians chapter four, verses 20 and 21. Here's what he says. That, however, the futile way, the way of darkness, the way of ignorance, the way of stubbornness and hardness of heart. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And notice, I didn't underline the words in this verse, but but notice a number of ways that Paul gets at this. He mentions the word learned. He talks about the word taught. And so he says, there's something that we need to be exposed to in terms of the truth of who God is. But he also understands that we're simply not brains on a stick. That if we simply seek to have moral conformity, if we seek to just simply keep our lives in line, if we try to minimize hypocriticalness just by painting ourselves differently on the outside, that's a failure as well. Yes, there's something to be taught, but notice he brings in the person of Christ. There's a person. It's not just data. It's not just information. It's not just facts about what you should do. It's a person who loves you. It's a person that you're connected to. It's the power of the Holy Spirit infiltrating and working through your life. There's a dynamic that's bigger than just, no, let your brain run your life according to these truths. Paul would never say that. He says, the truth of Christ. Christ is a person. He mentions the person of Jesus, seeming to probably highlight particularly the fact that Jesus walked the earth as a human being and lived our lives. Verses 22 and 23, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires. So Paul says there's two things we got to do. we got to put off. That's the one thing. It's only two words, pretty simple, put off. And then he goes on to verses 23 and 24, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So it says put off the old and put on all the new. I mean Paul keeps us like pretty simple. He says living the Christian life, living as a follower of Jesus, you need to put off what is old and put on what is new. Now we're going to dive into this more next week on Father's Day. We're going to look at a number of things. We'll dive into more of how this works, but just to kind of like tip our toe in the water this morning, we'll mention some big picture things. Paul is not saying, hey, just make it look like this on the outside. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So Paul says there's something definitive about what happens when we respond to Jesus. He says specifically, the new creation has come. There's, there's something that happens in your life that's definitive, that's objective, That's simply a starting point, truth. When you belong to Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in accord to fulfill in order to fulfill his good purposes. So Paul says, continue to work out what God has worked in. So back to put off and put on. We'll kind of wrap these things up for this week. And then again, we'll dive into them more next week. What's Paul driving at the... Maybe if you think of it like this, this helps me. If you've been around Southridge, you know that we've had a ministry at the Edinburgh. Prison across the street, kind of behind the developmental center, for a number of years. And uh, before the pandemic, we had literally several dozen people who would go in there for weekly Bible studies to do services. It was a pretty impactful ministry in that prison. One thing I remember is from the orientation. When we were oriented into sort of the guidelines as to how we were to carry ourselves into prison, one of the rules was this. We weren't allowed to wear anything color khaki. Every incarcerated woman is dressed in kind of khaki colored suits clothing. And so any volunteer who would go into the prison to serve those who are incarcerated were not permitted to wear anything khaki. Now, think about this. Why is that? It's not as though wearing khaki made you a prisoner. It's just that those who were prisoners, those who were incarcerated, wore khaki, and so they didn't want any volunteers to wear anything that remotely matched what the incarcerated were wearing. What they wore did not make them incarcerated. They were already incarcerated, but that was the garb that they wore. When I take my truck to a mechanic to get it worked on, I'm not gonna get work done if my mechanic is dressed like a surgeon. Like I I want him to look like he works on cars. I want him to have garb and clothing that represents who he is as a mechanic. This guy fixes cars, he's dressed like a mechanic because that's who he is and he's gonna work on my car. On the same hand, you don't wanna go into a hospital room and there's the surgeon and he's dressed like your mechanic. You want that to be a bacteria clean environment and if your surgeon is dressed like a mechanic, you have problems. It's not as though the clothing makes them who they are. They are who they are, and the clothing on the outside matches who they are on the inside. The guy on the inside is a surgeon, and so he's dressed like a surgeon because he represents a surgeon's well. My mechanic, his clothing doesn't make him one. He is a mechanic. That's what's in his head. He's an expert on that, and so his clothing matches who he is. And so Paul is simply saying this. He's not saying, put on the facade. He's not promoting hypocrisy. He's not saying simply toe the line. Keep your lives with your moral nose clean. He's not saying dress up the exterior. What he's saying is, you are a new creation in Christ. You belong to him. You've been purchased with a price. You are God's son. You're his daughter. May your exterior reflect the interior of being a new creation in Christ. He's not saying play the role. He's not saying put on something, put on the facade. He's not saying be fake. No, what he's saying is you are new. You're new creation in Christ. Throw off what is old because you're not old anymore. You're not the old creation. You're not separated from God. You don't live in animosity to God. God is no longer your enemy. God is no longer simply a stern judge. Instead, put on the new self because you belong to God. You're his prized possession. You're his son, you're his daughter. He delights in you. He gave his life for you. So put on the clothing of the new person who belongs to God. And if we do that, Christ's light is more deeply seen in this world. We're going to close our time this morning by celebrating communion. When I think about communion, communion is a time we commemorate and celebrate the fact that Jesus gave his body to be broken on a cross. His blood was poured out to cover over the curse of sin that we rightly deserve. And friends, what I want to say is this. This is information, but it better be a whole lot more. This is not just data. If we were made right with God through data... God could send an eight and a half by 11 sheet down and say like, hey, here's how you're supposed to live. You will not be transformed just by information. You are not just a brain on a stick. You're more complex than that. You're a brain, but you're a being. You have a heart that's designed to love. You have a being that needs something Glorious to capture you. You need a whole lot more than informational truth. You need truth for your being. Yes, you need truth for your head, but you need truth for your heart. You need truth for your soul. Is it Jesus? putting on flesh and giving his life listen is a soul-gripping truth. It's not just a brain truth. It's a soul and being-gripping truth that you are loved to the extent that the God of the universe would give himself to becoming human and being crucified on a cross the glory the beauty and the wonder of blood poured out and flesh being torn for your redemption is a truth that grips your soul Yes, it really happened. It grips your mind. But it grips your soul. You need more than information. You need to be made new. Your being needs to be transformed. And when we have communion, we remember, we walk back in to letting God's love, his forgiveness, and his sacrifice grip our souls. It's not important for you to be a member of Southridge, for you to participate in communion. And we simply ask that you be a follower of Jesus, that you have accepted and embraced Jesus as your Savior. If this is a totally new deal to you, Feel free to just remain seated during this time. We're totally fine with that. Just continue to reflect, think. If you're ready, and maybe this is the first time you ever take communion, you're more than welcome to join us in just (laughs) breathing a prayer God, thank you for the person of Jesus to save, to redeem, to restore my soul. We have a broken wafer that represents the broken body of Jesus crucified on the cross. We have a cup of juice that represents blood poured out. Again, friends, this stuff is glorious. It transcends. It's not just atoms. It's, it's a reality of a God who pursues you. And so we do this together. We take a wafer and cup of juice back to our seats, and then we, we take it together. So again, feel free to remain seated if you'd like. I'm gonna invite you to go to one of the stations near you, aisles up front, balcony, take a cup of juice and wait for back to your seat, and then we'll take it together. and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's certainly a matter of historical statement. It's intellectually and scholarly, it's it's true. But it's so much more. It has the weight of glory The beauty of something transcendent that the God of the universe put on flesh and blood and gave his life on a cross for you to be his new creation let's take the wafer and eat the wafer and drink the cup together When you're ready, you can stand with us. We're going to sing the song of just offering ourselves to God. Not pasting on behaviors, not simply conforming, but allowing the life of Christ to live through us, allowing the new creation that God has made us to be, to be expressed in what is seen. Let's sing this together.
0: To the world you created, trading a crown for a cross. You willingly die, your innocent life, pay the cost. Counting your status as nothing, the king of all kings can deserve in my feet covering me my life in my treasure One that I can't live without Here at your feet, my desires and dreams are laid yeah. Oh, here at your feet, my desires
1: God, thank you that you don't simply tell us to shape up, to get it together, to look more squeaky clean. You don't ask us to be shiny, happy people. You tell us that you make us new through the person of Jesus that your Holy Spirit indwells us. And God, may the newness of who you've made us to be, may that be expressed outward. May we every day put on more of the newness that you have made us to be so that your light and your goodness is seen in this world. We thank you for the glory, the transcendence, and the wonder that comes from your love for us in the person of Jesus. In whose name we ask this, and everyone who agreed said, amen. Amen. Our prayer team is down here to the right. We'd love to pray for you. God bless, and have a wonderful day.